Welcome, everyone, to the Our Strange Skies podcast. I'm your host, Rob Christofferson. And joining me today from the Moth Boys, it's Moth Boy Matt. Moth Boy Matt, welcome to the podcast, <laughs> man. Hey, how's it going? I'm uh, happy to be here. Very, very, very stoked. Um, how's it going, dude? How you been? <laughs> been good, man. Been good. You know, busy as ever. And and you, uh, the Moth Boys, have been busy because you published a book, man. You we published did. a book. <laughs> we did. <laughs> We did. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, we've we've sold over 500 copies since its release. And um, we're excited to tell the story of John Goodwill to the world because, you know, um, it's it was it was just the tip of the iceberg was touched on in the letter to John Keel. Mm. Um, but we have the full story. We had um, Todd Purse do the mm. format of the book, which he did a brilliant job. Absolutely. Uh, John, Jonathan Dodd, we couldn't have done it with, without um, either of these two people. Jonathan Dodd did the illustrations. When I first pictured this, I I thought about like, like a like one of those self-published uh like case files mm -hmm. you know something like gray barker would like release in his heyday or he'd like have in his and uh it's a little bit it's nicer than that but that's like <laughs> like what i what i imagined and um yeah we're we're lucky um yeah <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. No, uh, it is a, it is a wonderful book. Uh, and y'all should definitely buy it. The link will be in the show notes, but the book is the white monsters of Sherman, New York. And, uh, seeing as how, uh, you know, I'm a New Yorker, it, you know, we are talking about sightings from New York. We figured we'd bring you some rather interesting tales from New York stories of strange encounters with strange beings and 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 such and and you're gonna hear a little bit about the white monsters of sherman new york um absolutely yeah so um the first the first story um that i managed to to drum up mm -hmm. is uh is an encounter with an elf and like an elf? Yes, an elf. Going Yo, back. <laughs> I'm a fae dude. I love fae stories. You got yeah. my attention, buddy. <laughs> so um, this is the encounter of a guy named Ron Quinn. And Ron Quinn is this young guy back in August of 1942. It's on a family vacation uh, up in the mountains of... Um, Mon Gap Valley, which is, you know, just upstate, you know, New York. And um, 
his uh, family had rented a cabin from a friend named um, Richie Murtaugh and they decided to spend two weeks up there so like a clown car all seven of them packed themselves <laughs> into like a pickup truck <laughs> as you do yeah as you do like <laughs> you know 1942 your your clown car is just packed and uh they um they drove seven miles to uh quote a large stately home surrounded by tall trees uh just below the cabin was an open field and there was just like one lonely cow just grazing that's it mm-hmm. <laughs> you that's know, real depressing that's a that's a that's a shit farmer that's a bad farmer you know what i mean like yeah he's got yeah. a cow so one one that's it single, yeah so uh yeah lone cow there's a dog up there and you know it's it's kind of a picturesque kind of place but mm-hmm. not long into the vacation little little ronnie was sent inside because you know being acting up being a bad kid uh, he he called it a quote minor infraction of the law set down by my mom. <laughs> I don't know what kid calls it that, but okay. yeah, right, right. <laughs> but um, while he's sitting at this table, he hears what sounds like somebody gently tapping on the glass to the window right next to him. So he gets up and he looks outside. Um, and this is his quote standing outside on a window ledge was a small, odd looking man about a foot tall. I am not joking, he was there as big as life. <laughs> Wait, this kid said that, yeah, <clears throat> okay, um, very old guy, like a very old guy. This kid's talking like a very well, I guess it's the 40s, you know what I mean? Like, everyone talked right. like an old guy talking like an old guy and um yeah uh ron you know kind of just thought his mind was playing tricks on him so just kind of looked away for a second sat back down uh but the that little tapping just kept happening um so he gets up goes back over and this little man is just standing there smiling at him and tapping on the glass with this little like walking stick that's uh you know per- his perfect for his size and uh he tells him to come a little closer so uh ron does kneels beside the window uh quote he kept smiling and looked over uh, looked me over as though he never had had been so close to a human boy before i didn't speak but cautiously opened the window not knowing what to expect i slowly reached out to touch the strange being that had invaded my tranquil life but he stepped back Tilting his head from side to side, he inspected me from all angles. Smiling, the little guy leaped from the ledge, <laughs> landing gracefully on the grass below. He ran with long leaps across the lawn. Stopping. I would love to know which angles, though. Yeah. That's very like a- vague. <laughs> this, <laughs> oh, boy. I know. Right. Um, so uh, so there is a, there's a report. I, I I read the other day for a Patreon episode that I'm doing, and um, it's a three part article, and every third or fourth paragraph, 
the uh, investigator was breaking down every single angle that this person was seeing this UFO at. So like, <laughs> you gotta strike a fair balance. I gotta know a little more, but if you've given me too much, what the hell's going on here? Oh God, I love it. <laughs> and he looked at it from 350 degrees azimuth. Uh, <laughs> Like, no, man, this is totally unnecessary. Just total overkill, totally killing Mm -hmm. the vibe of the report. But um, so, yeah, this little man, he stops, he looks back momentarily uh, and then he vanishes into the tree line. So, you know, naturally, with the innocence of a child, he told his family and they just kind of made fun of him for the rest of the trip. But um Ron did find something interesting. He did find like a, a tiny footprint. Um, he said it resembled the mark uh, you would make if you had stepped on some soft earth while only wearing socks. So, um, yeah, that's that's the story of Ron Quinn seeing a little elf just, you know, tapping on the glass. And uh, he would uh, actually go on to collect a lot of these kind of elf encounters that you um, that a lot of people may not know about from New York State uh, that mm-hmm. people have had, and he published them in a book called Little People. So, if Ooh. y'all if y'all are interested in it, um, I got the Kindle version, what? and it, it, it's fantastic. But yeah, Little People by Ron Quinn. Uh, it's a, it's an interesting book. What? You know, did you recommend that to us when we were showing like some of like Mothboy's favorite books? I don't know if I did or not. Someone recommended that little people. I've been obsessed with um, Fae encounters um, since you know I was a kid. My mom would told me a story about her seeing an elf in um, in a park in in Jamestown, New York, uh, and like her and her father, my grandpa, uh, saw it. Uh, run across the road and down into a ravine and they pulled over and uh yeah watch this watch this creature it was super cool i i i I, uh yeah i absolutely love it um and i think i have my own encounter with a fae which we can get into after all the stories but absolutely um yeah that's awesome yeah no it's it's uh it's it's uh Hell of a story. So, so uh, why don't why don't you take our next one here? What what do you got for your first story? So, I'm going to I'm going to just tell a summarized version of the um, the beast of or the the beast of Whitehall, New York. Mm-hmm. As many of you know, Whitehall has kind of become this uh, um, capital and new york for bigfoot sightings um but it was uh it was 1976 and um there was a few teenagers just driving around um and they noticed a creature in the road that was about seven feet tall really hairy um and when they shined their light on it it kind of shot its hands up and um um yeah instantly freaked out uh drove off uh later that same evening police also saw 
um, this creature. Uh, and um, so, yeah, they, uh, you know, at first the police were a bit skeptical, um, but the, the, the teenagers reported the incident. Um, but later on, also a police officer was like, oh, shit. Yeah, for <laughs> yeah. real. They're real. Um, yeah. uh, and um, yeah, they the 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 police officer that that saw it said it was seven feet, um, 35 feet away and must and 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 weighed about 400, 500 pounds. Um, and uh, really, that started the whole. Uh, that really brought attention to Bigfoot in New York, that story. Um, and then after that, people started coming forward with all these other Bigfoot um, um, encounters. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, Small Town Monsters has a, a doc on this and you know, there's a bunch of other great docs on, 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 um, you know, this giant beast that was seen on a bear road. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's, uh, I don't know. It's, it's, it's kind of cool. Um, the, the Bigfoot, the Bigfoot community is so it's wild, man. Uh, it's <laughs> yeah. like, the it's like the wild west. It, it's, I've never met a more serious bunch of people in my life. And they're either, you know, dead serious on it being like something spiritual or interdimensional or like flesh and blood. Um, and, uh, it's weird. It's weird going to like just straightforward Bigfoot festivals, like vending that, like, I love doing it. But you get you get a lot of safari hats. You get so many safari hats. <laughs> I, I just don't know. I, you know, these people are keeping safari hats in business because I feel like only cartoonish big game hunters buy them, right? But yeah, there's no, there's really no practical purpose for them, like in isn't. in the woods around like not the southern not new York. No. yeah not, there's no there's no purpose for them no. um and then you know um but you it, it it's it's very it's very odd um again i love that community but also it's wicked divided there's there's like it's like it's it can get intense and it's the same with the ufo community that's why that's why i vibe with like the cryptid community right the the uf community the ufo community not so much there's still a little division but like it's not it's not as bad as bigfoot but the cryptid mm -hmm. community is just kind of like all the like groovy ass outcasts are kind of just like chilling with each other. It's like, oh yeah, you saw an octopus, man. Cool, cool, man. Yeah, yeah. Uh, right. Just you know, vibe into that. Like, uh, yeah, I've I've been on. Well, I was on one podcast, and there was mm -hmm. one guest that was adamant that um, 
you know, Bigfoot was just flesh and blood. And Mm -hmm. he started ripping apart anybody that wanted to suggest um, (laughs) that Bigfoot was anything other. And then I told the story Mm -hmm. uh, about this guy from West Virginia. I think it was Mm -hmm. back in 1960 who was following uh, like a bus or school bus that had friends on it in their Mm -hmm. car. And he he's driving along and his car just like quits on him and he looks over and he can see a Bigfoot creature there just like staring at him. And it eventually just runs off Mm -hmm. and his car starts up again. So he continues Mm -hmm. on and the car dies again. And he looks over and he sees this Bigfoot creature. But what's interesting is like it's they're holding up their hair. And the moment that he like let the put the hair down, his car started up again. So it's like, what the hell is that? That ain't flesh and blood, man. That's something different. Yeah, there's there's I totally I'm totally in that camp of like it could be something paranormal or just something something that is beyond our understanding of science as we know it or even something beyond like what we currently know of the natural world um all all hands are in um i don't think we'll capture any of these critters and i don't think there's any way to apply the scientific method to any of these creatures or encounters because they're so anomalous right right all these things are so anomalous you can't you can't you know repeat a test and get the same outcome or repeat whatever and get the same outcome or you know no one has successfully captured one of these things or and this and this includes all different types of cryptids and paranormal phenomena um i think this these things do exist and i think that they are beyond us and our Mm -hmm. knowledge uh yeah i i don't i i i think it's noble for folks to go after it with the scientific method um but I have a I have a feeling that it's gonna be all in vain, and that maybe there's just supposed to be mystery in this world, and we're not supposed to know about it. That should that should be okay. That should be yeah. okay with everyone. Yeah. No. Absolutely. And uh, you know the problem with a lot of these encounters is like you you can't point to like a certain set of conditions that you can, you know, go back and try and replicate and stuff. Mm -hmm. It's just people were in the right Mm -hmm. place at the right time. And that's just how it happens. Like, uh, that's, that's not science. That's just, you know, a chance encounter. So, um, and the fact that, you know, we as humans have trampled all over the woods across this country, like you kind of figured at this point should have found like a population or something, mm-hmm. you know, by mm-hmm. now. But like, no, it's just these weird anomalous encounters with a creature and- that is, you know, feels like it could be a part of like the, the uh, fauna 
of the mm-hmm. woods, but like it's completely and totally different, you know. And that actually, that actually, I think that's where people's heads should be. That this thing, these things, are paranormal. Mm-hmm. Um, and and uh, you know, again, I think I think we just need to kind of kind of just um you know record it record everything we can but it's it's a phenomena that we will possibly never understand yeah um but yeah uh that was my bigfoot uh it's a i've been to the spot where this happened and uh yeah yeah and it was just it, it's it's uh we did like a moth boys did like a cryptid uh oh shoot a cryptid trip what do they call it legend tripping or yeah. spooky trip yeah. yeah yeah legend tripping we did a bunch of cool shit we went to the we went to um upstate new york we went to um the new england area um and it was it was a whole lot of fun we're planning another trip soon and doing that um because we haven't done it in a in a long while but yeah what's 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 your next story so for this one um one of my favorite resources to just like peruse is a resource called the humanoid catalog and it is uh it's a collection of all these humanoid sightings going back from like the 1940s all the way up to 1977 and uh what's great is like when you open them up these are like pdf documents and they're um photograph scans of what look like index cards and on these index cards Hmm. they have these cases and underneath they have like the sources for these cases so um there was one because you don't hear a lot about like saucer women you always hear about the dudes mm-hmm. that come out of the saucer right. so i'm like you know this story is interesting so this uh story comes from the pages of saucerian magazine uh in mm. an article entitled they saw a saucer woman by <laughs> dc lucchesi and you know before the the article even begins we're treated to this nugget about lucchesi uh mm-hmm. quote editor's note mr lucchesi is a technician in an eastern plant that manufactures key parts for guided missiles and other articles he can only hint at knowing the author <laughs> for quite a long time and considering the key <laughs> position he holds we are not inclined to believe he would create a hoax because he could not give the full names of the fosters or foresters in this uh, the story is impossible to check. However, we believe the story authentic as far as Mr. Lucchesi can determine it. So, wait, you know. people, people in uh, in the military and the government making up stories right. that doesn't. Yeah, I I agree. I agree with this writer that there's just <laughs> no way this 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 dude could lie. I, no, I, he just I'm in that camp at all. Not at all. Not at all. Um, So, um, you know, from the outset, we're we're told that Mr. Forrester holds a prominent position in his community and that his name cannot be divulged. 
Mm -hmm. uh, we learn that Lucchesi kind of discovered the story through uh, Mr. Forrester's brother-in-law, uh, quote, who casually mentioned that his sister was sick and nervous to a severe shock incurred the week before when she and her husband went to New York State to examine some property. So, like, that's an interesting way to put it. Uh, but the um, the brother-in-law vaguely kind of alluded to his sister seeing a strange creature while they were traveling to um, check out this property. So eventually, Lucchesi, he kind of tracks down the foresters and he gets the story firsthand. So the couple drove up to Peekskill, um, which is a small community in upstate New York, to look at some property to build a summer home. Um, it's February 1954. Quote, upon arriving at the entrance to a dirt trail that leads to my property, I pulled the car off the highway and she and I began to walk towards the rear of the acreage. Um, this particular area is just kind of heavily wooded. Uh, it's adjacent to this kind of street, uh, steep drop off uh, right next to uh, uh, right on the slope of a mountain. So kind of a beautiful mountain view that you're getting um, from where it is. And. They, you know, they walked, they talked about their plans for building this house, and it's about a mile into the woods. And, you know, mm -hmm. they're looking around, they stay till it's, you know, starting to get dark out, and they start coming back. Um, so um, they see this light, and mm -hmm. it just kind of startles them for a second. And uh, this, this, this quote is, um, this is an interesting quote here. I was in an exceptionally good mood, Mr. Forrester stated. Very calm and absent-minded, the way you get sometimes when you're out in the country. So, like a darn fool, I started to walk toward the light. After walking about 200 feet, we rounded a big rock. I don't know quite how to put it. I know you're going to think I'm nuts or something. Well, mm -hmm. anyway, I saw her or it. And the thing is, is like... Like you can tell this dude wouldn't be a fan of pronouns like in the modern era because he keeps yeah. going back to her or it and like, yeah, it's going to keep popping up. But uh, um, and the thing uh, gleaming sort of brassy like and she it. Well, anyway, something was standing on the side or deck of this thing. It was a girl, I'm sure. And so was my wife. <laughs> <laughs> He had never seen one. He's just guessing. He's like, I'm sure it was a girl. I'm sure. Most certainly. From um, what I've seen in book. Uh, yes. Yes. Um, and like the sketch of this figure is like. I think it was love at first sight for me because I totally I totally dig this woman's vibe. I really do. Um, she's kind of wearing. Her outfit looks hairy in many ways. Like, uh, like it's not. It doesn't look like her skin. It looks like her outfit's kind of just like. It looks like she's wearing a, a hairy set of like chaps and like uh, mm. I don't know. It's it, it's mm. it's a very interesting wardrobe. But like, this guy's just like confused as hell. You know, he's like he can't get pronouns down for shit. Um, L listen, I'm thinking. Let me. I'm gonna. I'm gonna just interrupt you right now i do yeah. believe that this was crescent could be it could be an early form it could be yeah. an early you know, sighting of crescent for sure right i think i think these these beings live forever and guess what crescent crescent was was getting some before david huggins yeah 
I'm going to guess that's what happened. I don't know what happens. I've never heard this. <laughs> Continue. But uh, yeah, now the, the sketch, you're going to have to go into the show notes when um, you're listening to this and, and the sketch, because I'm telling you, I, I it's love at first sight for me. Like I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm there. I'm totally there. But um, <laughs> Uh, yeah. But you know, Forster, he he's not totally in a state of fear. Like he's terrified, but he's like curious as all hell too. So right. he stood there looking over the woman standing outside the craft. He tried to get a view inside of the ship, but it's like you know it's hazy in there. Like she's been uh, smoking it up, blazing one, and mm-hmm. um, you know uh, he can see these kind of like blue glassy spherical balls inside. Uh, mm-hmm. and he's, uh, and he says, quote, I saw some black piping too. the outside of the thing. The top part anyway, was brassy colored and appeared dimpled or hammered like, and the bottom had the funny gleam like stainless steel, dull and shiny at the same time. Uh, pipes came out of the bottom of the top. If you can understand that and went down to the edge of the thing. I suppose like all technicians, I was interested more in the mechanism than in the creature. <laughs> bullshit i call yeah. bullshit right there totally totally like you got you got like a you got like a like a, a hot alien being coming down mm-hmm. with like what i assume is hairy like cowboy chaps mm-hmm. you know what i mean like like the yeah. cow no you're not looking at pipe pipe work buddy okay yeah all right continue yes um but uh <laughs> He calls her this girl thing. Oh god! Like fucking a man. What the it's- hell? But you know, like fuck off with this shit. But um, uh, he adds she had a black rubberoid hood that extended halfway down her back, and it seemed to be inflated since I could see it pulse or change size. She was holding a tube which went back into the port in one hand and a black box with a wired attachment in the other. She had a plastic-like mm-hmm. mask over her face and wore uh, goggle-like things. I mean, those are just goggles, sir. We don't need to. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but like, then he says, then I noticed those eyes. And the words, mm. those eyes are in all caps. We never get a description of what the eyes look like, though. <laughs> so like, Mm-mm. he just sees eyes. Um it might have been my imagination, but they seemed luminous as they showed through the dark goggles. It was then the realization hit me that here was something not to be idly looked at. And I began shaking like a leaf. My wife was gripping my hand so hard it hurt and seemed frozen to the spot. I pulled at her, but she was stiff, stiff as a board and wouldn't move until I yanked at her and shook her. I dragged, I, I half dragged her into the car, gunned the motor and got out of there. After driving th- about three miles, I stopped to see how my wife was. She was white as a sheet. Her mouth was moving, but she couldn't talk. Mrs. Forster backed up all of her husband's statements. Uh, mm-hmm. Lucchesi examined the area and found a large trampled patch of vegetation where the UFO had been. Um, the article ends hilariously with this sentence <laughs> quote and there is still fear in mrs forrester's eyes eyes that have looked upon a shade from hell or a creature from outer space <laughs> that's awesome that's like a great tagline for a movie <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> that's sick okay cool so like this is I, i'm i i'm telling you the first time i saw the sketch i was enamored not gonna lie folks you really need to go check the sketch out because i really dig this woman's vibe she's got she's got a hell of a vibe and um uh they kind of compared her a little bit to the flatwoods monster even though she doesn't she doesn't look like it like they kind of look at this this hood is kind of like re resembling that spade but like she's she is like she's a she's a good looking woman i'll, I'll just yeah. say it right there like um me in that situation i would have asked mm -hmm. her out on a date i would have i would have invited her to olive garden you, you, i would you have you know unlimited the, breadsticks Exactly. That's, a, that's that's the way to treat. That's the way to treat a person. You know what I mean? When you're taking them out on a date, treat them to some uh, unlimited breadsticks. Yeah, exactly. You'll get exactly. it. Exactly. So um, uh, I, I just want to put out there, um, if there are any aliens listening to this <laughs> podcast right now, would you be impressed with those unlimited breadsticks? I got to know. Just just yeah. hit me up. <laughs> You'll do a, a poll. You should do mm -hmm. a poll. Yeah. <laughs> And I can guarantee, I can guarantee every alien being across the universe will want to, will want it, will want it. They'll want it. Right. They'll right. want everything. And, and imagine if you somehow got your hands on a pasta pass. Holy shit. Mm, oh, oh my God. God. Man, that would just seal the deal. Yeah. I mean, if you're looking, you know, I'll, I mean, I'd join you for some Olive Garden. That sounds delicious right now. I'm, Hell yeah, I'm man. absolutely in. And um, anytime, anytime. We're, we'll go get know, some Olive Garden. It's interesting. I, I love when there are stories where the writer breaks the story flow to say, and I'm not crazy or <laughs> you're, you're going to think I'm crazy, but this really <laughs> happened. Yeah, I love it when stories do that. It makes it it makes it more personal. You know what I it mean? Does. Like I'm not crazy, but anyway, let's get back to my encounter. Um, okay, oh, wait, cool. Wait, before that, so uh, also I want to add aliens. Okay, not only is the ideal first date with me a trip to Olive Garden, but mm -hmm. I will take you to Target and I will take you to my favorite island target which is the kitchen utensils aisle it's absolutely fantastic if you've never been to the kitchen utensils mm. aisle in in target holy shit it's one of the most romantic places you could ever think of on this planet so um yeah aliens <laughs> get at me i'm doing I'll, I'll throw up a poll on twitter we'll see how this goes we'll see how it goes <laughs> very nice very good i um so next, I've got a UFO story. Um, so, Ovid, New York. Uh, David Reynolds, a resident of Ovid, uh, which is in the Finger Lakes region, was out on his porch, chilling, smoking a fatty, probably. Mm. I don't know. <laughs> well, probably. Probably a sick-ass fatty. And... Um, <laughs> Uh, and he sees these lights right up in the sky and they're making a triangle formation. So, you know, he stares at it because, again, he got some of that white widow and he's <laughs> melted right now. So yeah. 
he's seeing these lights and he's like, Whoa, I think I'm, I think I'm seeing UFO. And he calls his wife, his wife comes out and the lights start changing from orange to white. Um, and they also notice that none of the, the lights aren't attached to a giant body. They are just giant lights that keep the same distance between them throughout the whole movement of these things. And, um, yeah. So, uh, you know, um, Trish, uh, takes out her smartphone, right. And then takes a few really clear pictures. Um, and she doesn't like zoom in on them or anything. And, uh, David, estimates that there was about 500 feet he said 500 to a thousand feet between each light that was moving in unison um and um those pictures were released and uh mufon uh contacted them um like they're I don't know how MUFON is divided, but upstate New York. Yeah, they have a team. Like, I think they have like a few different investigators for New York, if I remember correctly, when I was in my brief time at MUFON. But they had like a few different um, investigators in New York. So and it sounds about right. Okay. Um, but John Lombardo was the MUFON investigator that went and, you know, went to investigate and do all that good stuff. And, and he checked out the pictures, brought it to other MUFON members and, you know, their story and the photos were genuine. They found like no tampering of the photos. Uh, and, um, but these these lights were seen by multiple people, and there was even one uh, similar to this, um, and it was the it was about the same night. Uh, I think it was more into the morning, but someone saw uh, these lights in triangle formation land in a field and uh like gray figures come out um and um i don't know if that has any connection but i just saw that and thought i'd throw it in but yeah i um when were you in mufon a few months in 2018 uh mm. it was i was uh uh we did uh, i was part of a special group that um mm -hmm. uh called the uh, internal review board and mm -hmm. what we were doing is basically um was it like through, a secret society uh it, it was kind of uh so my buddy uh chris cogswell from the mad scientist podcast he had uh uh he had become their director of research mm -hmm. and 
uh, one of the things that he wanted to do is he kind of he wanted a review board to go over these cases, kind of just like cherry pick the best ones. And right. eventually MUFON wanted to just kind of do a podcast and feature some of these cases. So um, one of the things that I did is I um, I was responsible for 18 states uh, along the eastern uh, side of the United States. So from all the way up from Maine down to Florida so basically what you what you would do is like every month you would go through the cases that uh, were reported to move on and just like go through them kind of scrutinize them and um you know pick out the the best and the weirdest ones and um um yeah that, that there were a lot of interesting ones that's where um the the clown pants came from the clown pants mm. story Mm -hmm. uh you, have you ever heard the clown pants story before i haven't but i would love to hear it so there was this woman who reported to the uh mufon investigators in connecticut that during her time on a hollywood set in um i think it was like maybe 2012 or something like that that she had seen this UFO that was flying over the set. It was a small kind of like, it almost could have been a drone um, for all she knew, but she took a picture of the thing. And um, I snagged this picture. Uh, it's one that lives on my phone. And uh, the investigator uh, wrote down in the report that uh, it was somebody who had thrown a pair of clown pants in the air. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> that's perfect <laughs> and it looked it okay so like when you they saw don't it, look like clown pants they do not look like clown pants being thrown in the air but like that was their determination it's it's an interesting looking photo um i'll uh i, I actually have it right here i'll send it to you in the chat but it's just yeah. the the guy's like yeah clown pants that's okay that's after a thorough investigation, we have determined clown pants, nothing but clown pants, clown pants. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, what, uh, so. what, I wonder what that elimination process was like, just like <laughs> being being there and and like sitting with other people and being like, what? What in the fuck could this be, man? What is this? What is? Yeah. So, um, yeah. Um, Coming your way in the chat is the photo of the clown pants. Greg in the background's like, eh, probably it could be clown pants. Okay, <laughs> yeah. chat. Let's let's see. Hmm. Oh, I'll see. Fucking <laughs> clown pants. <laughs> what is that? That is right. wild. It don't look like clown pants, but you know, like whatever it is, it's it looks like. Looking. It looks like maybe not clown pants. It looks kind of like parachute pants, something like MC Hammer bit. would wear. A little bit. I could see that. I could see that, but oh, I don't know. They need to reopen that case, I think. I think so, too. We need to get to the bottom of, of the clown pants because uh, it can't just be that they're clown pants. There's mm. there's no way. It's too. Uh. There's I think that's just that's just simplifying it. You know, yeah. that's that's the basic scapegoat everyone's yeah. like oh that ufo is just clown pants yeah. everyone says that about every ufo exactly 
It's not swamp. That's why you quit MUFON, I assume, is because of this. And they said, it's just clown pants. Keep, you know, just let (laughs) it rest. And you're like, I'm never going to let this rest. It it definitely played into the reason why I left, because, like, I was not satisfied with the conclusion of this case. Mm -hmm. And I needed to get to the bottom of it. And so far, clown pants is all we have to go on. So, Hmm. you know. We're doing the we're doing the best we can. Uh, but yeah, like um, can can you I, I don't know if this is if this is something you want to dive into. Yeah. What made you leave MUFON? Uh, so the main reason why we left MUFON is because we learned that uh, we were assured up front mm-hmm. that John Ventre, who mm-hmm. uh, very infamous racist piece of shit. Oh, uh, yeah. Was not in MUFON anymore and then we later mm-hmm. learned that he was in MUFON because he actually ended up emailing Chris uh, about the uh, MUFON symposium that year uh, and he knew what we were doing uh, with this podcast he's like hey do you want to, do you want me to be in your podcast it's like nope we're leaving your group that's why mm-hmm. so yeah that, that yeah. that's the main reason yeah there's some leadership that got into trouble right yeah Yes, they, yeah, MUFON, you know, over the last few years, kind of had some uh, leadership issues here. And uh, yeah, not, not looking the greatest. Not now, I will say there are great people within MUFON. There are great investigators yeah, within sure. MUFON, but it always seems to be with the higher ups. Um, yeah. They're uh, quote unquote inner circle. So mm-hmm. yeah, that's, uh, that's definitely one of the issues that they have. It's going the on Illuminati. There. All of them are part of the Illuminati. Yeah. And they're, you know, they're like, hey, we've got all this wealth of knowledge. Pay us mm-hmm. and I'll tell you about the the clown pants, the flying yeah. clown pants. I will tell you about them. You pay me a yeah. small fee of thirty nine ninety nine a month and we a will month. get you that info. Yes. For the same amount that would have bought you the pure moods collection from time life back in the day. (laughs) You too can learn the secrets of the Illuminati. Oh man. Yeah. Um, very cool. Yeah. Yep. I like that. Yeah. Good old clown pants. My next one. You know, New York is not exactly known for its UFO crashes. And even at the end of the story, it may not really be known for its UFO crashes. You know, when you think of UFO cra- UFOs crashing, you think New Mexico, Arizona, even Pennsylvania with the Kecksburg crash. Um, but like um, there's a very interesting kind of crash retrieval case uh, from 1989 in Long Island. That is worth mentioning. So it's known as the uh, Mauritius Bay Retrieval. And hmm. uh, this case was investigated by the Long Island UFO Network, or um, if you're up for acronyms, LIUFON. Um, I love that. So, yeah, it's a great it's a great acronym. Mm-hmm. Uh, I dig how uh, it throws that I in there to really just kind of like throw you off. And, uh, you know, it's yeah, really make it too much, you know? Yeah, just a little bit. Just just a little bit but um september 28th 1989 something allegedly crashed into mauritius bay just off long island in, the, in a pretty shallow area of water so 
Um, at 7.10 p.m. on the evening of the 28th, an aerospace engineer in Torrington, Connecticut, reported to Philip and Brogno. Okay, Phil and Brogno, not maybe not the most reliable guy, but like I don't want to break him down too much. He did lie about his credentials and stuff, but you know, that is what it is. Um, this guy had witnessed like a half circle or this dome of bright white light um, from his home. And this engineer observed this object for a number of minutes before it just kind of moved off to the north. And then there were a bunch of residents in and around Torrington traveling on Interstate 91. They reported seeing uh, a dark mass at low altitude composed of six or eight very bright amber lights slowly moving above them. And mm. according to Imbrogno, this object was huge. Um, and you know, we're going to be talking about football fields here for a second. It's just slightly larger than a football field. Uh, shout out to my buddy, Ryan Copper to the what if podcast. He loves that stuff. He really does. Uh, and it kind of had the ability and, and, and one of the features of this object is that people will say over and over again, it had the ability to blend in with the night sky. Hmm. So this object was seen over Hartford and West Hartford between 7.50 and 8 p.m. And it was tracked heading northeast over Bridgeport, 8.25 p.m. And it basically headed in the direction of Long Island. And according to Imbrogno, over 33 eyewitnesses saw this object flying over Connecticut. Now, hmm. UFOs over the skies of Connecticut and New York uh, were nothing new in the 1980s. And, you know, through the Hudson Valley wave of sightings, um, had kind of died down by this point there were still reports coming in of people seeing kind of large like boomerang shaped objects or um you know just like really large uh ufos in general and uh a guy named john fitzgerald related to laufon that uh and and what you're gonna see is like there's kind of a mini flap leading up to this uh encounter but Hmm. On Labor Day, September 4th, 89, um, he thought it was a good idea to go jogging and he just dragged his kids along to do it with him. So he dragged his 15 year old son, Patrick, and his two uh, younger brothers who were nine and 11, you know, just the the perfect people that love jogging. Just absolutely mm -hmm. love it. Yeah, and uh, absolutely. They, yeah, they took a jog through uh, Gardner's uh, State Park um, and while running. Uh, John looked behind him at one point and he said this was roughly around 12.04 p.m. Quote, he saw a giant dark colored boomerang object of immense size hovering briefly over an overpass of nearby Sunrise Highway. The dark colored object lazily made its way toward them, just kind of like bobbing up and down in the sky. And uh, it eventually passed by and just uh, disappeared. Um, but uh, his son, Patrick, also attested to seeing this object, too. But um, <clears throat> the area in uh, Mauritius Bay where this encounter happened is known for um, its uh, camping. So what's interesting is like this particular year, 89, um, the state closed the camping areas early that year, be, claiming that it was due to um, staffing issues. But not only that, the Air National Guard and Sea Rescue Unit were kind of doing special exercises uh, in, in preparation for the space shuttle's reentry that year. The, 
the sea rescue unit was particularly involved um in that process uh in in this particular area but uh but residents in uh center Mauritius who were questioned about the UFO incident in a 12-block radius from the shoreline of Mauritius Bay reported to Laufan tales of strange phenomenon and unusual military activity. Many residents reported that summer periodic outages of their cable TV system and electric power from the Long Island Power Company. Notice satisfactory explanation was given by either company to subscribers. So a lot of weird mm. stuff going on in Long Island that, that mm. summer. So... Strange lights were seen over the bay on the night of the 28th that witnesses assumed were kind of parachute flares at first. So at 5.30 p.m., Mary McLaughlin, um, she was in the middle of making dinner, was interrupted when her two boys called her over to the window in the living room. And there was these two large triangular shaped objects just suspended there in the sky, just hovering. And um, there was one in the east, one in the west, kind of pointed towards each other. And the three of them watched for a little bit longer. And the one in the east joined the one in the west, like within practically an instant. Um, and a half hour later, residents near East Mauritius Coast Guard Station noticed a lot of unusual activity at the, the base itself. There was a heavy influx of military vehicles and civilian cars near the base. Um so many of them parked there that they kind of blocked off traffic a little bit. So it's around 8 p.m. that night that amber lights are reported by witnesses near uh, Setauket and Calverton. And one such witness was uh, Mona Clark, who was driving on Route 25. Uh, she assumed that they were either aircraft craft lights or flares. Um, and there's uh, another woman, uh, Mrs. Uh, PG, I called her Mrs. Rated PG, was on her way to pick up her son, PG-13, when on the Long Island Expressway, they noticed six large amber lights. And from a closer vantage point, they noticed that the lights were connected to a triangular shaped object that was, quote, twice the size of a football field. Again, Americans in their football fields. Like, uh, it's just a number that we're really good with. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, it was a dark object perfectly outlined against the night sky. And um, a lot of, you're going to get a lot of sightings that uh, that came in between um, 8 and 8.45. There's one witness, Susan G., who's uh, picking up her daughter from a dance recital in Southampton. Uh, she ended up following an object for a period of time between 8 and 8.30. She saw six to eight very large amber lights over the highway. Um, though she couldn't see the, the, that they were attached to any kind of structure or anything. So she pursued this object for a while before it changed directions and moved away from her. So one of the main witnesses in this case is a guy named Paul Peterson. And his story begins at 845. He's a resident of Mauritius Bay. Uh, he reported a series of amber lights himself over the bay. And it, and it was like a sequence of lights that would go on and off um, <clears throat> one after the other. But the, the lights lit up the bay like really well. Um, and he also heard helicopters in the area, strangely enough. And he also visually confirmed different types of helicopters that were in the area. And uh, he tried to document the lights on his camera, but his camera just wasn't good enough at the time that he they weren't even showing up in his viewfinder. 
but they were incredibly bright. So he raced this down to the dock um, with an Instamatic camera that he has. He's accompanied by his son, Robert, and they observed these amber lights hovering about 5,200 feet above the water. And what's interesting is like, yeah, these lights would turn on in sequence. Hmm. They would uh, they would be like pretty high up. They would turn off. And when they turned back on again, they were closer to the water. And they didn't report seeing a structure or anything like that. But like these lights would continually do this. They'd, you know, appear down, disappear, appear back up again and come back down. So they observed this and they observed between four and six uh, Air Force and police helicopters surrounding these lights at any given time. So the Petersons remained on the dock for about two hours from nine to just before 11 p.m., um, the lights had apparently disappeared by 1115, but they reappeared again 10 minutes later. And then all activity ceased by around midnight. So there were other witnesses to these particular lights. Frank and Carol Oliveri uh, were witnesses to it around 9 p.m. Um, Carol is watching TV in her room. She sees these over Marichis Bay. She also hears these helicopters. Um, and her Frank and her husband, Frank, they both watched these bright amber lights just kind of hmm. doing the same thing. They reported them, you know, rising and falling. Um, and um, when their daughter, Jane, arrived, she joined the family and they kind of watched it for another hour before these lights just disappeared. And according to two anonymous employees of the Drug Enforcement Administration, they were alerted to the Air National Guard uh, that there was a large unidentified craft in the area. And fearing that it was drug smuggling operation, it would, the some of the helicopters were supposedly dispatched by the DEA. But, you know, we don't have any names, so it's all kind of uh, all speculation. So there's a lot of conspiracy with this one. Mm-hmm. Um but there are some witnesses that claim that uh, what they saw were flares being dropped, a guy named Larry um, and his son and a guy named Frank. Um, they also, you know, claim this. Uh, there were some witnesses that uh, claimed to see a military convoy heading from Smith's Point Beach up the William Floyd Parkway to Brookhaven Laboratories, which is going to be kind of your sinister scientific uh <laughs> group here in this story but uh uh, according to one man a guy named george dixon and an amateur anthropologist and ufo investigator from long island he stated that he was informed that a ufo was down by the strategic defense initiative that's right the star wars weapon oh my gosh it's operational (laughs) yes (laughs) yeah uh apparently it, it, yeah, like Star Wars weapon just down this thing. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. The de- that was only a fraction of its I power, know. too. I know. I assume. Yeah. Like, you know, one tenth. And yeah. holy crap. Because usually just... it can destroy entire planets. This yeah. time it's just taking out some lights. Yes. Yep. And, you know, this battle, battle station was operational. So uh, it took down. Uh, it took down a, a UFO. Of course, good old George Dixon was not willing to name his informant. 
but there will be another man that will enter the picture shortly. So Laufan does this huge investigation in, of the area, including a land, air, and sea search of the dunes along mm. Smith's Point Beach. Like they had resources. I, I don't even know how they, they were able to. They also, uh, the guys that were in Laufan apparently pooled their money, which was, at the time was like $5,000. And they bought this, like all of this special camera equipment and everything. Like they went all out and their air team observed a circular formation of depressed marsh grass on an Island in the mouth of Mauritius Bay, you know, indicating mm. that an object may have landed there. And at the time of this investigation, it, there wasn't even a, the idea of a crash wasn't even proposed by this time. It's just, they saw these lights over this bay, and that was it. And then again, George Dixon. He's mm. just, he enters the story again. This, he approached this guy's is this guy is trouble. Yeah, he this is. This guy is he's, trouble. He's absolute trouble. So uh he he approaches Layufan and he claimed mm. that he knows a scientist that was involved in the crash retrieval of an object that went down that night. The scientist, he's referred to as Dr. Nick. <laughs> okay dr nick yeah. all right all right oh yeah. yeah absolutely yeah. dr nick yeah he's giving off those hi everybody kind of vibes <laughs> um but um yeah he um he was allegedly interviewed by la Ufon in april of 1990 and he stated that a boomerang shaped object was downed over mariches bay around midnight on september 28 1989 Dr. Nick had been studying crashed UFOs since the 1970s for the U.S. government at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, specifically to study the electronics of these objects. He attested to the use of the Star Wars weapon to bring it down and that it was fired from Brookhaven National Laboratories. Ooh. Ooh. Um, uh, quote, Dr. Nick informed Laufan the object had been repeatedly tracked throughout the Northeast by satellite for months. They knew that it would pass through Long Island this night and plans were made to intercept it. The government did not care if the populace on Long Island should see or hear something peculiar since they felt no one would pay it any attention. They forgot about Laufan, the object and its technology had to be recovered, end quote. So, also, apparently, a number of alien bodies were recovered and sent to Brookhaven National Laboratory. So, um, yeah, that's that's the Mauritius Bay, you know, crash retrieval story. It's one of those interesting stories in the case files of um, Leonard Stringfield, who was devoted to like the last 30 years of his life to to crash retrieval stories. So, you know, oh. maybe just maybe UFO was brought down in Mauritius Bay in 1989. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, what's, what's, what's his name? Krennic, the guy who oversaw the Death Star. He yeah. was a part of this. Yeah, totally. Um, you know what? I say, sh I say sh shame on them for, first of all, shooting these things down like yeah. it's the empire i get it like mm -hmm. but there's bigger things to fry yeah you know there's bigger fish there's yeah. alderaan alderaan exactly you know and, and i think krennic just didn't have the image i think when you know 
what's his name? Tark. Mm, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah, yeah. When he took control of it, that's when he's just like, "All right, let's blow up entire planets." And yeah. and that's what I think about that story. You know what I mean? Yeah. Is mostly is is mostly the Empire should have used it for for better things. Yeah, exactly. So if you want to know who to approach for disclosure uh, in this day and age, uh, you need to go talk to the Empire. Like that, mm-hmm. that's, you know, you're going to need to, I know it's tough to get in, to, in, in contact with them, you know, like nobody's been in contact with them for a long time. We're like right. this measly pan, planet all the way, you know, we're like outer rim territory. Let's be honest. We're like we, the Tatooine of this world, but right. um, yeah, but like seriously, we're out like, of the jurisdiction of, of the, the thing, what I like about living on Earth is that we're outside the jurisdiction of the Republic and the Empire. We're an independent mm-hmm. planet. Yeah. Um, and I just think, you know, we don't have to, we don't have to choose sides in this war. Um, yeah. And it's just, it's just silly, I think. Um, you know, uh, I am, I am not, I am, I am a huge Star Wars fan, though. <laughs> and I appreciate that you're a Star Wars fan too. Absolutely. Uh, as you all know, Earth is the Norway of this whole galactic, you know, problem here, and we're just trying to do the best that we're trying to do. But it would be great if the Empire could keep its weapons off this planet. You know, they are interfering with disclosure as we speak, and like the it's the only answer to why disclosure hasn't happened. Yeah, Shang's a Jedi name. Yeah. So if they don't, if they want, if they want, if they want a piece, if they want to come here, mm-hmm. it's like welcome to Earth. You yeah, know what I mean? Exactly. Like it's, 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 uh, you know, I'll be, I'll be Earth's Will Smith. You know what yeah. I mean? In Independence yeah. Day, I'll yeah. pop those aliens, get them out of here. I'll take out the Empire, just like you know. Yeah, Luke. Well, you know, Luke and a bunch of other people. But guess what? Guess what? That is a really cool fucking story. I dig on that a whole lot. Um, Yeah. And and it just it kind of makes it more when there are. Multiple sightings of. Of these things, whatever they were, uh, it just kind of adds credit because like how many people you know what i mean like it's Mm -hmm. just um yeah yeah that's that's incredible and new york new york has a lot of uh ufo sightings um it does it really mm -hmm. does yeah have you have you ever experienced anything uh anything any ufo or uh anything like that yeah i had a close encounter the first kind when i was at work once uh there was uh i was um was at work my buddy came out uh to to uh ask me to go outside on a break and mm-hmm. we go outside we're out there for maybe a couple minutes and we look up and we see this giant egg just like floating in the air and uh oh. it's just like moseying down um kind of floating like with its side parallel to where we were and then 
it kind of stopped just about where we were standing. Like the, the view that we had is like, it's kind of perfectly in the frame here as like, you know, stopping right where we are. And it turned 90 degrees and then it just moved away from us. Like, mm, I'm just going to, no, nah, you've seen too much. Let's just, we're going to get away now. Mm-hmm. And just slowly moseyed on away. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's cool. Um, and was that the only time you've ever? No, I've had, I've had a couple. I've had a yeah. couple UFO sightings. Cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's wild. So the 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 story that I have is um the white monsters of Sherman, New York. Yep. Um and you know, like you had mentioned, we just released it and it's on Amazon and we'll have we have it in um select stores. Um yeah, so in the 1960s. So we're going to be going to my home county of Chautauqua, Chautauqua County. And um, this took place in the 60s. At a young age, I was really fascinated with this story. Um, And um, yeah, I I would say it just because it was a an encounter with a cryptid, a highly unusual cryptid, like in the town next to me. So mm-hmm. it was first reported in, um, uh, in John Keel's book, the complete guide to mysterious beings. And it was written, this letter was written to John Keel by an anonymous boy who said, uh, he and his family had been seeing these things, giant beasts um, that resemble mylodons or giant ground sloths, all white. Um, and he basically uh, told John Keel, like, please believe me, I'm seeing these things. Um, and, uh, you know, it was a while before John Keel got back to him and was like, sorry, I don't have time to investigate all of these cases. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I think, I think uh, after that, uh, it kind of got um, forgotten about for a while, but I'll, I'll, re- I'll read the letter. Um, that um, this anonymous child wrote to John Keel. Letter from a young man in Sherman, New York. I am writing because about three or four years ago, um, I saw a white monster in a swamp um, beside our house. I have been seeing these things ever since then and close to our house. One night they came down in our yard the letter continued uh so the 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 it it continued with this with the description so it stands between 12 and 18 feet high it has a long tail between 6 and 8 feet long it is all covered with hair they are always white i've seen them alone or a couple at a time it can walk on 2 feet or 4 feet it is almost a double for a prehistoric sloth 
My whole family has seen this thing, and I know of two more men who have seen them. I am 15 years old, and I am not kidding. I have seen these things, and they are real. Um, which it so the this kid had had been experiencing uh, these these giant things everywhere in Sherman in Sherman. Um, and so we decided that we wanted to, and by we, I mean the moth boys, we wanted to find out who this anonymous boy was. So we did research. We went to different websites and Facebook groups and phone books to check up names. Uh, like, we looked up the most prominent names in Sherman and gave them a call and sent them. It was just, it, it was a while. And then someone responded back and was like, that is my father. And he's been telling me this story since I was young. And he put us in contact with his name is, his is John Goodwill. And he is a retired biology teacher in, um, in Ohio. And um, awesome guy. We met him. Uh, you know, we started off with emails back and forth and then uh, did phone calls. Just a really funny, down to earth person. Um, and I think that story hit me before we even knew him was also because that very ending part where it was kind of like a plea to like, please, you yeah. know, um, like believe me. Um, because later on we found out not too many people believed him. And as a child, when you experience these things, um, of course, I, like parents are going to turn you away or put put it all up to imagination or um, what have you. Um, and so he told us all of his experiences with his family, um, even with a couple of folks from Sherman. And um, yeah, yeah. And so... Um, so one of the encounters, one of, one of my favorite encounters uh, he talked about was this uh, night he invited some friends over. So it was him and his brother, Ron, and a couple of neighbor kids were all sleeping in a tent. And, and that's the, I think that's my favorite illustration in the book. Is, um, Isn't it? John, John did such a good job at that. Like, it just makes it seem... It it's, it, it so gives it creepy. like a nightmarish thing, you know it what does. I mean? Like it really does. Oh it, my it's, god! It so this this John woke up screaming, um, and he can't remember if he heard something or had a nightmare or saw this thing, but he just looked up and all he could see was stars, um, and their father heard 
John screaming, the father came out and saw this thing hovering over the tent. Um, and it honestly, it, it that that story, if you think about it, could almost add uh, like this paranormal element to it, right? Yes. Yeah. Where maybe maybe it was a nightmare, but maybe this thing was giving John the nightmare. Right. right. Um and uh um yeah, and I mean his his sister who has passed uh saw it. She got bucked off of her horse by it. Um they've John has seen, you know, like entire families together uh actually his whole family did um and like the the smaller ones were playing with each other like wrestling yep. um and um it was incredible finding him and you know, the first time he told it to us, it was it was a very it was very emotional. He got very emotional. We all got very emotional. It was a, um, it's a very intimate thing, uh, exposing yourself like that. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, he, I was a little starstruck because you know I was in high school when. Uh, early high school when I heard about this story and, and it just like, I had, I had always been into like cryptids and the paranormal. I didn't really believe in the paranormal at that time until I had my own experience with it. But, um, I, that's how I tried to make friends when I was a little kid, I would go over to my grandma Joyce's and print up like these cases of like Mothman and Bigfoot and Chupacabra, whatever. And then mm. I would hand them out to random kids at school to see if any of them would be my <laughs> friend. <laughs> let, let me tell you, it did not work. Let me tell you, it did not no. work. Never no, no, no. Does. Why would it? Why would it? Right. What was I thinking? Right. Um, and um, yeah. So, you know, um, yeah, I think I think uh yeah, just just meeting John and finally finding out who this person was. Um yeah, again I was just kind of starstruck cuz I was like, man, you, 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 your story is is very important to me. Mm-hmm. And uh you know, I know it's important to other folks. It was it was important to all of us and um, and, you know, he just said, you know, I never thought my story would be told. Uh, he's like, I thought I would go to my grave with this story. Um, and yeah, so we're just here. Uh, and the book we poured our heart and soul into, it's, it's very much, it's very much it's the interview uh with 
but with like investigative pieces, uh, investigation pieces and uh, um, art by the amazing um, Jonathan Dodd. Um, mm. And um, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, I always liked cryptid stories about uh, both like, like, you know, ancient, like fauna, you know, like mm -hmm. Mokele and Bembe and yeah. stuff like that. Just always. And it's so weird that there were mylodons. Now I've been exploring Chautauqua Gorge, right? Because, um, and I, we didn't put this into the book, but John said that in Chautauqua Gorge, it's this beautiful area in uh, Chautauqua uh, State Park where um, where he also heard people talk of white creatures in this cave system in Chautauqua Gorge. Now, I had never heard of any Chautauqua-like gorge cave system or caves. Mm. I talked to a local historian, and they said that there there were cave systems um, and that uh, French explorers would hide like goods and what have you in them. Um, some even say that there is buried treasure. Um, but so my uh, partner, Kate, and I have been exploring the chautauqua gorge to try and find these cave systems and and what was interesting is that um yeah so so kind of connecting the john saying that he heard about some men that were spelunking in these cave systems in chautauqua gorge um had seen white creatures and then see, like hearing this local historian talk about an old cave system, I was like, but no one else in the town has heard of this cave system. So I don't know if it's just not, if it's gone or if it's just hidden. Mm -hmm. um, we'll see. I'm going to try and find it. Uh, that's what I'm doing right now. So this is like uh this is now turned into a Goonies adventure, you know? Like, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And even yeah, and sloth. You know yeah. what I mean? Like yeah, the uh the we want to yeah, I want to I want to I just want to keep going with this story because uh Hopefully we, you know, this book uh, helps people come forward with potential sightings that, that they yeah. saw. Yeah. And um, yeah, yeah, we're, we're excited about it. It's, um, it's incredible. We're all very proud and we, we, we're proud of John for, for trusting us with his story. Because when we first met him, his family came along, and I think it was more for like, all right, you know, don't, yeah, don't fuck with John. Like this is, and we would never. We told him we we you know, this wasn't 
anything to make fun of and that we would take this, you know, professionally. And, but he's just such a funny dude. Great guy. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, honestly, I, you know, um, once you have a weird experience, like it changes you. Well, it, like, yeah. it forces, it forces you to change whether you like it or not, because you're, once your view of the 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 natural world and what is a part of it is expanded and you have to allow that um to happen you have to you have to expand your mind for uh for any real progression because um these things are out there and this it, this is for everything these these mm -hmm. These things are out there and, um, and we just kind of need to accept that. And yeah, I don't know. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally know what you mean. Cause it's just like, there, there are so many different accounts from so many different people of like the very strange and unusual, like, you know, uh like there are your typical kind of encounters with you know your your standard array of cryptids or ufos mm -hmm. or stuff like that but then there's the really weird 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 stuff that when you look mm -hmm. into it is kind of above and beyond what you think uh people would be encountering and like yeah, like so so one question i have is what is what does john think of the book what does he think? He 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 loved it. He worked very uh um like when we were done, we would incrementally send him things and and especially with the with the art, him and uh Dodd worked closely um and uh you know there was just this moment where he was like, that's it that's what it was and it was like such a moment like a chill up 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 and down my arm type thing it, it um yeah he he loves it um his whole family he's giving uh, all of his family members uh books um <laughs> and uh yeah yeah he couldn't be happier good because like yeah like uh for a lot of people they they don't always feel comfortable enough to tell their stories mm -hmm. and it's important that like one of the things that you that your book serves is like to encourage people to tell their stories so mm -hmm reach out to like anybody like uh, the the great thing about you know podcasters is like a, a lot of them are just on their own or devoted researchers they will dig into whatever they need to they'll investigate whatever uh comes their way so like you know uh if you've got strange if you have something really strange that has happened to you that you've never told anybody before and you've never felt comfortable to tell anybody our strange skies at gmail.com. You can tell me whatever you want. And I, uh, I am a judgment free zone. I am, mm -hmm. 
I have always been the kind of person that will not. I don't discount people. Yeah, uh, I, I think I don't. It's not fair to do that, uh, especially you know, as someone who has witnessed a lot of strange things over their life. It's it's not so easy to dismiss things out of hand, uh, you know, when a when a strange story comes your way. But like, yeah, it's just, um, you know, uh, consider this podcast your safe space to um, reach out and, you know, tell us, tell me your stories um, and I'll, I'd be happy to hear them. Yeah, I think I think having podcasts like that is important. Uh, you know, having, giving people a place where they aren't that person with the UFO story or they aren't, oh, the person with the Bigfoot story, you know, they're Mm -hmm. not, they're not an outcast or kind of like the weirdo. They're, they are in a place where they can tell their story and know that um that they won't be attacked or made fun of in any type of way um yeah it's important to have those spaces for sure because you know these weird things happen and people feel like they don't have anywhere to go except uh kind of just swallowing it and never talking about it again yep yeah and it, it yeah you get you got a lot of outlets to uh, uh to to uh, get those stories out if you feel that you need to tell them so um i've got a for for my last couple of stories here um mm-hmm. uh, i decided to hit the celebrity beat because like uh there are some interesting ufo and humanoid encounters from new york so um one of the most infamous is um jimmy hendrix uh so um in 65 <laughs> jimmy hendrix he was traveling um uh you know with the members of his band and uh you know curtis knight they were going through upstate new york in the dead of winter which is a mistake uh if there ever was one uh, mm-hmm. but they had apparently missed their turn and they had kind of just drew driven into this like huge snow drift that kind of just forced them to stop their car and wait until it uh, passed. But um, at a certain point they'd been there for a few hours, they were kind of getting scared that their car was going to run out of fuel and that they were just going to freeze to death in the middle of the road. And then they see that the road in front of them just like lights up um, like daylight and looking up, they see, a cone-shaped object that kind of reminded them of like a like one of the in 65 at the time i think you're talking about like the gemini's kind of space capsule kind of coming down and it proceeded to land in front of them uh when astro's reaction curtis knight stated um uh because they were trying to get his attention jimmy didn't answer they just sort of smiled he seemed to be staring uh out into the night uh, his eyes riveted on this thing resting within the stone's throw. So Knight claims that uh, he tried to wake everybody else up in the in the van, but they were just asleep. He was driving and, and Jimmy was next to him. And a door in this object opened up and a being glided out towards uh, the side that Jimmy was on. 
And he recalled, uh, quote, he stood eight feet tall. His skin was yellowish. And instead of eyes, the creature had slits. The forehead wow. came to a point and his head ran straight into his chest, leaving the impression he had no neck. So uh, that's that's yeah, that's just ugh. so the being floats over to the side where Jimmy is seated and they proceed to have some kind of telepathic conversation. Um, not exactly sure what the gist of it was, but, you know, um, the byproduct of all this is like the interior of the van was heating up and like the area was kind of melting. Uh, the snow was melting. And uh, Knight wasn't sticking around. He kind of gunned it and got the hell out of there as the being was walking towards the back of the van. I think he assumed that it was coming around to his side. Almost kind of, it, it kind of like has the vibe of a injured cold type of encounter. Just yeah. in the creepiness factor. But yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. But oh my gosh, that's so freaking cool, man. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's one of the weirder of the weird stories uh, when it comes to encounters. But um, the thing that Knight alluded to is like Jimi Hendrix had had previous UFO encounters and like the expression that he had on his face when he was just like sitting there was like, oh, hey, my buddy's coming down. He's going to come talk to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, like uh, that, that's that's one of my favorites. Uh, but uh, there was another one. And, uh, you know, in the 70s, John Lennon was candid about um, his UFO encounter so much so that it actually ended up in in one of his albums. But um, he's quoted as saying there's UFOs over New York and I ain't too surprised. <laughs> but, um, you know, Lennon. uh at the time of his UFO encounter, he was estranged from Yoko Ono and he was dating his assistant, Mary Pang, and he was working on uh, his album Walls and Bridges. And in the liner notes, there was this little nugget of info included. Uh, it said on the 23rd of August, 1974, at nine o'clock, I saw a UFO. So here's Mary Pang's summary of what happened. So. Uh, she says, I had just stepped out of the shower one Friday night toward the end of August when I heard John shout, Fung Yi, come here. And in a, in a minute, I called back. Now, Fung Yi, now, he screamed. He sounded panic-stricken, so I ran into the living room. I could see him standing naked on the terrace, and I ran out and stood beside him. What's the matter, I asked. Look up there, he pointed to the sky. Tell me what you see. I looked up and I couldn't believe my eyes. There was a saucer-shaped object surrounded by blinding white lights gliding through the sky. I was convinced it was a UFO. I can't believe it, I exclaimed. You're seeing exactly what I see. I can't believe it, I repeated. I was astonished. Then I began to laugh. What are you laughing at? asked John. Suppose it's looking at us. Maybe they think that everyone who lives on the east side wanders around naked on their terraces on Friday evenings. We look like Adam and Eve. <laughs> we watched the object gliding through the sky. Then we went inside, got our telescope, and studied it some more. I almost didn't call you, John said. I was afraid you wouldn't believe me. I thought you'd say, what is John on? I didn't think anyone would believe me. We went to the phone and called Harold Sider and Elliot Mintz to tell them about the UFO. Sider was skeptical. Elliot, of course, was not. 
John spoke to Bob Gruen, a photographer who did a lot of work for him, and asked Gruen to come over and get on the phone to find out if anyone else had sighted the object. Gruen made a few phone calls and learned that there had been reports made to both local police station as well as the newspapers. We couldn't stop talking about the UFO. I never believed this Hmm. stuff before, I said. Now I've seen it and I do believe it. It was real enough, said John. Uh, When Yoko called, John told her about the spaceship. What did she say? I asked when he got off the phone. She was upset because she hadn't seen it. Yoko called back two or three times to complain about being left out. (laughs) In bed that night, we continued to talk about it. Just before he fell asleep, John said softly, I wish it had taken us both away. So, oh, I had no idea that John Lennon and Hendrix Mm -hmm. both saw UFOs. Yep. That's wild. Yep. I wonder, I wonder if there's, if there's like a catalog or a book where musicians have cataloged UFO experiences or something. There are some that I know that have claimed to have had sightings. I know Kendrick Lamar claims to have, I think he claims that he's been abducted by aliens before. Um, there's a great soundbite from Erica Badu where she says, <laughs> uh, because it was a sounder on a, on, a, on a friend's podcast, she says something to the effect of, I haven't had any close encounters and I'm pissed about it. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, like um, every now and then, like they, they come up, you know, celebrities talking mm-hmm. about, you know, their, their UFO sightings. And it's just kind of this, you know, novelty thing, but like, yeah, those two are, you know, uh, two of my favorites and, you know, they yeah. occurred in New York. So. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, um, now your, your podcast, do you cover a lot from New York or have you? Not, not always like, you know, there are, Maybe a few things here and there because there aren't a lot of um there aren't a lot of like famous UFO sightings from New York. Right. Like um, you know, aside from Whitley Strieber, the Hudson Valley, um that's that's kind of it. So uh yeah, I don't I don't generally, but like um it's kind of why I wanted to do this episode to give New York its proper uh part of me wants to do this because like i i want to stick it to sufjan stevens and i just want to do all 50 states eventually and and like you know i want to show him how a 50 states project is done and not give up after the second one but like yeah. you know that that you know that's that's ambition it's gonna happen mm-hmm. eventually but uh yeah like um we're, we're gonna be covering the hudson valley wave soon which uh definitely Ooh. deserves to be covered yeah a lot of weird stuff Mm-hmm. A lot of yeah, that's good. Um, that was the Hudson Valley flap. There is so much to that. I was looking into it. I was like, maybe I should mention it on the on the podcast. And I was like, there's a lot. This mm-hmm. is a, this is like this is a whole episode in itself. Yeah, yeah, it absolutely um, is. Um, just like encounter after encounter, but like. 
there's psychic elements to it where people are mm-hmm. like telling the UFO to come back and it responds to them and like, you know, stuff like that. So like, it's a very, it's a very weird flap that, uh, um, kind of gets a little hampered by its investigation, but, uh, ultimately has a lot of, um, fascinating cases to go along with it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool, man. This has been awesome i i i'm a fan of your podcast and i i was very excited um to come on yeah dude no it's it's been a blast to have you on because like uh you know uh gives it gives me an excuse to talk about some new york stories and Mm -hmm. you know to uh to really dive into the white monsters of sherman because it's it's an absolutely fascinating story and like you guys should be totally proud of what you did because like you went out there you did the work and you know you really got down to the nitty-gritty of what the story is so the story now has a second life and it's getting you know it's living on in this fantastic Uh, book that everybody can go and get from amazon.com the white monsters of sherman new york um so um yeah man thank you so much for being on the podcast so uh where can everybody find uh your podcast and and everything that you got going on so uh you can follow our uh socials facebook and instagram um we have a Twitter and I think Jake runs it, but he just tweets a lot of, about Mark McGrath. Um, and <laughs> so, um, so if you want Mark McGrath content, follow our Twitter. Uh, and uh, we're on Spotify, uh, iTunes, or not iTunes, Apple Podcast. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Anywhere where you listen to your podcast, we're on besides YouTube. Um, and um, yeah, my personal is Matthew X Shang. Um, but yeah, go give our go give our book a read and let us know what you think about it. Um, again, we couldn't we couldn't be happier with with it. And uh, we'll. Uh, We'll be doing a, a a book a book tour soon, a library book tour, which is um, where the Moth Boys are planning on going to every uh, library in Chautauqua County and donating a book, signing it, and getting to know the librarians. Uh, we're very excited about that. But yeah, again, thanks for having me on. Nah, I appreciate it, man. Absolutely appreciate it. So. Uh... Uh, you can find the Our Strange Guys podcast on most podcasting apps. Uh, you can check out OurStrangeGuys.com if you want the links to like everything, you know, Patreon, all that good stuff. Uh, there is a P.O. Box, P.O. Box 1377, Tupper Lake, New York, 12986. Um, as always, you can check out uh, the webcomic that I do with Todd Purse, uh, Welcome UFO People. So, um you can check that out on uh, Instagram at Welcome UFO People, Twitter at Welcome UFO Peeps. And we finally have prints available if you want to get your hands on some of these comics. Uh, they're absolutely gorgeous. Um, 
Uh, you can get yours at createmagicstudios.com slash welcome dash UFO dash people. Um, and uh, we've, we've uh, been donating to the Creative Vision Factory in Wilmington, Delaware, and uh, they are a, a great charity to provide for because they basically provide people with uh, behavioral um health problems and people who are on the spectrum uh they give them opportunities to express themselves um through the art and stuff so it's it's a great cause to support and um y'all should absolutely buy prints because you know a portion of the proceeds goes to that um our strange skies is a production of Doovie media special thanks to floats for the use of their song ufo as the theme for this podcast spencer worth davis is the man behind the curtain uh, our logo was designed by Megan Lagerberg and the great Desdemona is behind many of our t-shirt designs. And finally, don't forget to look up because you never know what you'll find in our strange skies or you never know what you'll encounter in Sherman, New York. In gray, <laughs> we trust. <laughs> Yeah.